Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, this week we're talking about wine, and uh, well, wine and science. Uh, so first of all, we need to stress that... Uh, Kids, don't yeah. go drinking a glass of wine while you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, don't let this inspire you because, trust me, you're not going to like what it tastes like anyway when you're old enough to drink it. So, But you will later, yes. Yeah, later. It's going to take a while, so don't rush it. So yeah, we're... There's all there. HowStuffWorks.com has a lot of really cool articles about how wine is made, uh, about some of the possible health benefits of, of drinking like a glass of red wine a day, how to make your own wine, etc. But we're not really going to get into all that. If, if you want that, hit the site because we've got it. In, we got it covered. Yeah. Um, what we're going to talk about are a few cases where science and wine sort of you know hang out together and uh and and conduct some really cool experiments or some or and also in some cases some really interesting chance encounters between the world of science and the world of wine. I had a friend who used to live in Atlanta who was a microbiologist and he went out to California with his wife and wound up working as a microbiologist out there for one of the vineyards. Oh cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's a real chemistry to it. Um I don't know anybody that uh, is like that heavy into the science of it. I, uh, that specific area of the science of it. Um, I have a friend who's a dietitian and, and she, when she talks about wine, she definitely has a, a, di- a dietitian's, uh, stance on it. And then I have another friend who's, who like took courses in like, you know, how wine is made in the different regions and, and, uh, she's, you know, uh, she advises people on, you know, which one to, to get in which, you know, to pair with which cheese, et cetera. So do you think you have a good palate? Mm, I, I really, I like wine a lot, but, uh, uh, I'm not like super, you know, I'm, I don't have this amazing palate. I'm not a super taster or anything. No, no, I don't think I'm a super taster either. I think uh, some of my in-laws might be super tasters. They seem to have amazing palates. They can discern all of these amazing tones and flavors and all sorts of things in wine that I can never detect. Yeah, I tend to like choose bottles based on what kind of animal is on the label. Like or, or what price tag they have. Yeah, well, that, that also <laughs> helps a lot. Yeah, but but no, I, I, I like a good wine. But uh, I'd tell you who else liked a good wine. Frédéric Brochet, cognitive uh, neuroscientist at the University of Bordeaux in France. What's, wh- what did he do? Well, uh, this, is, this is pretty awesome. Um, he, uh, in 1998, he decided he was going to have some wine specialists he knew over for a tasting. 54 of them, in fact. That's a lot of wine knowledge in one room. Yeah. And Brochet himself is, uh, is quite the wine enthusiast as well. So, you know, this guy invites you over and uh, for a tasting, you're like, all right. You know, he knows his stuff. Let's do it. So what happened at this tasting? Well, he decided that he was going to, uh, uh, to first give them a pair of, a, a pair of wines, a red and a white to taste. Okay. Um, which they did. And they all, they all made their notes, uh, on the, on the wine. And everybody. I wonder if he provided them with spittoons. Probably. Yeah. They're all about, you know, the, you spit it out and then you cleanse, cleanse your palate and, and all that and, you know, swish around some, some water. Um, and then you describe it in all of this uh, rather elegant uh, language, uh, which I, I imagine a number of people have heard before. Um, we have a whole list of, of these uh, that came from the study that uh, Brochet later published. But, uh, I mean, I lo- love how there are things like uh, you talk about the like raspberry tones and uh, you talk about, you know, dis- distinct uh, lemon, honey, straw, uh, floral tastes in the wine. And those would be whites primarily. Yeah. And then you get into the reds, and I heard one person describe it as leather. 
leather. I thought that was fairly interesting. And then they're, you know, plump, final, dark, intense, deep, and all those sorts of things. My, my wife has a theory that the, the more, um, advanced the, the wine connoisseur or, or, or wine snob, if you want to be judgmental, um, the, the more advanced your knowledge of wine, the crazier and kind of disgusting your terminology will be for even a good wine. So you might be like, hmm, I detect the hint of dog, some light tachyon notes, you know, it'll be stuff that like, what does that even mean? Tachyon, that's a subatomic particle. How does a wine taste like that? But, um, but yeah, so everybody knows the kind of language we're talking about. So they would, they tasted the red and the white and they made all these complicated, uh, you know, descriptions and, you know, and some of the adjectives are very much white wine describers and others are red wine describers. Okay. Okay. So, you know, everybody, ha ha ha, tries the wine, comments on it, puts down their notes. Then he brings out a second pair of wine. Again, a red and a white. Everybody does the same thing. You know, they, they taste them, they, they put down the, the, their comments on it, and they make their notes. You know, then white language for the white wine, red language for the red wine. Okay. But then the big reveal. The, the second couple of wines are both the same white wine. He just put red food coloring flavorless red food coloring into one of the whites. No kidding. Yeah. And the, the thing is, nobody figured it out. Like nobody, not a single person, and these are all specialists. Not a single one said, "Hey, I think these are the same. This is the same wine, and you just put food coloring in one of them." Like no one even said, "Hey, these are very similar." They they they, they use the, the distinct language to describe the red and the white. Okay. All right. So if but you think, wasn't done. That's right. He threw another wine party. He must have had to invite a whole different set of specialists. I can't imagine the same set of specialists would come back after the yeah, big reveal. It seems, or if they would, they would be very suspicious. Like, all right, what's this wine? What'd you do? Is this soda water? A flawed experiment. Yeah. Which actually, he kind of did something similar, uh, <laughs> to that. Because he, uh, what he did is he told everybody beforehand that he was going to serve a common table wine and a premium vintage. Okay. All right. Something fancy, you know? Uh, so he, ma- he, ma- he starts off, he makes a show of tasting each of them and he responds in a predictable manner. You know, he, you know, he tastes the, the table wine and he's like, oh, you know, uh, this table wine, all right, this, you know, pretty good, spits it out. And then he, you know, and then he tastes the, the vintage and he, you know, he sort of waxes poetic about how, how nice. The premium it is. vintage, right? Yeah, yeah, the premium vintage. Um, so, and then everybody else tries it as well. And of course they have, they do the same thing, you know, okay, you know, oh, the, the, this is, you know, the premium vintage is this, this and that. And the, uh, you know, the, how, the, um, the table wine is, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's all right. It's table wine. It's pretty good, but they don't, there's no comparison except they're the same common like Bordeaux wine. Oh no. Yeah. Did again. There is no premium vintage. It's just some, a very basic wine. And again, no one picked up on no it. No one picked up on it. Yeah. So what's the lesson here? It seems that taste is more than what's on your tongue. It's a combination of. All the senses. Yeah. Especially what you're seeing and what you're perceiving. Mm-hmm. Is that what Prochet was trying to get at? Yeah. And, you know, he's not just being a jerk, you know, because <laughs> he, he, uh, he's very adamant in the, the paper that he, you know, he, he, he likes wine and that this is actually to the benefit of people who are into tasting wine and, uh, and talking about it. But yeah, it's like we, we don't just taste, um, you know, a, a glass of Pinot uh, Grigio. You know, we're, we're looking at it. We're, um, we're smelling it and we're bringing in all these preconceptions based on what someone just told us about it, what the label looks like, mm-hmm. um, you know, how much you paid for it. Uh, you know, all these different things end up affecting our um, experience with the wine. Didn't Perche also predict that the more 
honed a palate um, the wine specialists had, the more likely they were to fall for this trick, the red dye trick, at least. Yeah, yeah. They, the more, yeah, the more into wine you are, and the more of a specialist you are, the more likely you are to fall for the the red dye and the white wine uh, experiment. So this made me think of, have you ever heard of bartenders using like top shelf liquors or at least the bottles of top shelf liquors and filling them with the cheap stuff and then serving them to people? Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard about that. Yeah. I don't know if I would pick up the difference. Do you think you would? Probably not. You know, Um, say if somebody was giving you Papa versus Kettle One vodka, do you think you'd pick up on it? Probably not. I'm, cause, I mean, for one thing, if you're having like an opinion colada or something, I mean, it's, <laughs> what, what, you're probably not going to notice. But what about something like a martini or a gimlet? Yeah, I could see, I don't know if I would, because I'm just not, I don't have mixed drinks that often, mm-hmm. but I can definitely see where somebody would, especially if it was like, say, a sipping, like vodka or a sipping uh, tequila or something. Right. I think it would be harder in that if it were served neat as opposed to with ice. Yeah. Now, if you're just, if it's like Irish rocks. car bombs, I doubt anybody's going to notice. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that, uh, that actually brings up a, another point. Uh, there's a friend of mine who's a graphic design person, and uh, she has this theory that you could make money selling like fake, fancy labels that uh, that slide over your bottles of uh, two buck chuck. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and so you can just you know you go to the store, you spend two bucks on a bottle of wine, but then you put the fancy label on it, and everybody's uh, cool with it. Or and, you bring it uh, as a gift to a yeah, housewarming you bring it party. as a gift, and science backs this up as a solid plan. <laughs> So let's move on to our next intersection of science and wine, or more accurately, medicine and wine in this case. Uh, yeah, yeah, we have actually, yeah, we have a, a flight of two wines here to present to everyone. And <laughs> the first one is, uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything, so I guess I'll kind of set it up with the story, right? Yeah. Where are we? Um, so 2007, we're in Spain, mm-hmm. right? And what starts happening is there are wine drinkers and they're winding up in the hospital and they're having severe Allergic reactions. Uh, in fact, I think one of the five people that shows up at the hospital is anaphylactic. So uh, this person is going to die uh, from constricted airways if they don't get medical help. Yeah. So this is not just, oh, my face turned red because I had wine. This is I'm in the hospital and I'm in some serious pain. Right. So the doctors conducted a couple tests and it eventually ruled out all the likely suspects. And these were all wine drinkers, we should mention. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very important detail. Um, so the doctors conducted tests and they were trying to figure out what was what. So there are a couple of likely suspects, maybe like egg white, which is sometimes given to wine to clarify it and reduce harshness. But when the doctors started scrutinizing the patient's blood, they found antibodies that suggested a recent bee or a wasp sting. Except none of these people had been stung recently by a wasp or a bee. All they'd been doing was chugging down wine. Yeah. So they, you know, they started investigating and... What they what they came up with is that everybody everybody knows the the one step in the process of winemaking. You know, Absolutely. E- even if you don't know all the chemical stuff, you know, like people with their bare feet squashing grapes or a machine squashing grapes um, up. Well, uh, what if there's something crawling on the grapes, right? Right. What if you have yellow jackets, which happen to like ripe fruit, like mm-hmm. grapes? Yeah. But you know, I think everybody knows these guys from picnics. They, they love picnics, and apparently they love grapes. So what was happening is yellow jackets were getting smashed up with the grapes, oh, and you okay. were getting wasp venom in the wine. Okay. And then when, when these people uh, drank it, they had an allergic reaction to that venom. So this would probably be more of a problem in a wine that hadn't been allowed to age then, right? Yeah, they found that older wines were safe. 
because even if there's venom in there, the venom will have had time to just, uh, to lose it. yeah, degrade and lose its potency. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they said it's, you probably would be good with even just a couple of weeks of aging. So something like a Beaujolais, aren't those very new? And don't you drink them very quickly after they're produced? I think I've heard that, yeah. So yeah, that would, it will, if you, you had a wine that was really fresh, like made yesterday, uh, this would not be a wine to drink if you had, you know, some sort of like severe allergic reaction to, say, wasp stings. This is really interesting. My mother-in-law actually has an allergy to um, bee stings. Oh, wow. She always forgets to carry her EpiPen around with her. It makes me a little nervous. So I guess that means that we can only drink the really good stuff with her. The really <laughs> good old stuff with her. Yeah, 2009. <laughs> good stuff. Um so our next wine in our little flight of, of wines uh, for this uh, tasting uh, is a Chinese super wine. Oh, most excellent. What yeah. does it do for you? Well, um, here's the deal. All right. So everybody's read, you know, like we were talking about earlier, these articles about, uh, hey, red wine is good for you. All these studies, you know, red wine is good for you because of this. It'll... Um, um, you know, it'll, it'll make, it'll keep you younger. It'll make you live longer. It'll fight cancer or heart disease or, you know, you name it. They're, well, a lot of it boils down to the antioxidants, right? Right. So the antioxidants in red wines are, are called polyphenols. And the idea is that they're thought to protect the lining of blood vessels in your heart, according to the Mayo Clinic. And then there are these two main types of antioxidants. So the flavonoids, like flavor flav, and non-flavonoids. And there's one non-flavonoid. That you guys have heard a lot about, I'm betting, called resveratrol. Yeah, you can buy it in supplement form, right? You you can. Uh, although you can't internationally. I think you can buy it in the States. I don't know if the FDA has regulated it yet or what. Yeah, some of this stuff is, is weird. Like, you can get melatonin here just over the counter, but I think it's uh, more control in, like, the U.K., so resveratrol is a compound found naturally in grape skins, and there have been various studies conducted on it, and some of them have found that high doses can improve muscle endurance in mice, and also that the compound keeps them slim. Oh, How nice, well, slim good. mice. And, and of course, again, we'll stress that uh, the uh, the wine skins, uh, those end up more in the process for red wine. That's why red wine is red and white wine is white. Right. So other studies have linked resveratrol to improving longevity. And then, of course, you have the people who say it doesn't, but it improves your overall health. Yeah, there's just, it seemed like for a while there's like a study every week. Somebody else was hitting it. And it's understandable because there's a lot of money to be made in things like staying young and living forever. Indeed, yeah. immortality. So it's been quite the fad. Yeah, to say nothing of, um, you know, some sort of a health reason to drink that glass of wine every evening, so... As if you needed an excuse. Yeah. You got to say, I'm probably staying young. So if resveratrol is really great for us, then why not make this super wine that has a lot of it in it and make a profit from it? Yeah, exactly. So what's going on in China? Is that what they're after? Um, well, sort of. It's um, th- There's some re- researchers at China's Northwest Agricultural and Forestry University. Okay. And they've been uh, working to produce a genetically modified grapevine. Okay. So what they're doing is they're throwing in a gene variant from a particular wild Chinese vine that increases resveratrol production. Okay. Um, they're, but they're, they're not doing this specifically with the idea of, hey, we will make some crazy wine that'll make, make people forever. think they're going to live forever. No, because as it turns out, resveratrol also works as an effective antifungal agent in the plant, oh, protecting okay. it, you know, from, uh, from fungus. So that's really what they're going after with this. But that's that's not what uh, was necessarily picked up on by uh, by various uh, media outlets, you know. Because any fungal wine and any fungal grapes, eh, I may not read that. But not as sexy. But super Chinese wine that could make me not age, you know, that sounds great. I'll click on that. 
So what about robots and wine? What's going on there? Oh, well, um, on one level, you have the, um, I, I think a number of people may have seen this. And actually, I did a blog entry about this like a year ago. Um, and it's kind of old news. But the, uh, the sommelier robot from Japan's NEC System Technologies. Okay. Um, this is like, you know, and like all Japanese robots, it's this cute little guy that, you know, looks kind of like a little, like, pudgy dwarf or something. You know? <laughs> like, he looks like he just came right out of an anime, you know. And, um, but he can identify wines with an infrared scanner and give food pairing recommendations. You can also taste leftovers and tell you what they are. And Okay, uh, wait, wait, can we just stop right there? Yeah. Why, why is he tasting leftovers? Why don't you know what the leftovers are in your fridge? I mean, do you need a robot to tell you what your leftovers are in your fridge? Well, do we need Are they so unrecognizable? And if, if they're so unrecognizable in your fridge, then perhaps you should just throw them away. Well, if you start asking, do we need a robot to do this, that, or the other, then, I mean, you're going to end up... I mean, that crosses out most of the robotic stuff that's going on in Japan. Well, this particular sommelier robot identified human flesh as bacon, so it seems like there are a few flaws to be worked out. Maybe. I don't know. I... Maybe human flesh tastes like bacon. I think I've heard that before. Really? Yeah. So maybe the robot's correct. I suppose. Well, we have another pretty cool story about wine and robots, and this one was detailed in Astrobiology magazine. Yeah, this one's a pretty cool story. Um, it centers around, uh, basically a couple years ago, centers around this uh, UC Berkeley chemistry professor by the name of Richard uh, Matthies. All right. Okay. And uh, during the day, he was working on a prototype for the Mars Organic Analyzer, or MOA. Uh, and this is the most sophisticated life detection instrument ever to be sent to the Red Planet. And uh, Will be sent. Though, yeah, will be sent. Planet. It's going to go in 2013. Uh, so that's his day job. At night, like a lot of us, he likes to come home. You know, Maybe sit on his porch. Yeah, have a little dinner, have a little red wine, and then uh, go to sleep. And then wake up at like 3.30 a.m., uh, like hot, flustered, with a racing heart, and, uh, you know, has to get out of bed and somehow calm himself back down. Was Richard going through menopause? What was going on? <laughs> um, no, uh, but what was happening uh, was something called uh, tyramine. Okay. Oh, tyramine, the modified amino acid that sets off a chemical reaction that causes the body to produce adrenaline, you mean? That would be it. And it's common in a lot of foods that are ma- made with bacterial fermentation. So uh, your pungent cheeses, yeah, wines, wine. aged meats, you know, all the good stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, he was probably he was a little bummed out about this. So Professor Matthews had this idea. He wanted to know what produces it. And then, wham, he realized, well, what do you know? He can marry his nighttime wine drinking with his daytime job because he spent a decade of his life, in fact, building a machine that can analyze organic compounds. Yeah, the most advanced one on the planet, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty sweet to have that at your at your disposal. Yeah. So uh, what he did is he got in touch with a local wine cellar, and they started running wines through this device. And um, the the original the article, which you can you can look up, it's online, um, and we'll probably link to it on the blogs when we we, we sure will. Yeah. Uh, he, there's a real detailed description of how this device works, um, and it's really detailed. So we'll just trust Hit the us. highlights. Yeah, trust us it works. It involves lasers and uh and uh, and like tagging the molecules and then analyzing them and it's far more advanced than anything that like the Viking um you know rovers had on uh, on Mars in the past. Okay. But anyway, the, so he goes to the winery, they start running wine through it. And not just the finished product, but like wine from every step of the fermentation process okay. to uh figure out you know when uh, when the tyramine is coming into play. And uh they ended up keying in on the secondary fermentation process, also known as the uh, 
malolactic formation, where ma- malic acid converts into lactic acid. Um, and this is like ma- malic is uh, typically in the fruits, and it can be a bit bitter, so lactic acid softens the taste. Okay. All right. So this is the process that fills the wine with uh, with not only um, tyramines, but also histamines, which cause allergic reactions. Right, antihistamines, sure. Yeah. The research is still continuing, um, and they're looking at like which which wines are more likely to contain uh, tyramine, and which uh, even which uh, wineries are more likely to produce it. Uh, but there's actually a really even more incredible possible future for this technology. Right. You could see it being deployed on a much grander scale. I mm-hmm. mean, there are so many food allergies, and we're so hyper-aware of what we're eating these days, and peanuts have made the headlines numerous times. You could see a parent wielding you know, a handheld device like this and analyzing you know, a sample of that airplane food to see if it had peanuts in it or whatever your allergy was. Yeah. Matthews even predicts that, that this technology could be incorporated into um, like other food-related gadgets. Like It could be part of a, a food processor. Or, uh, or something even like in refrigeration, where you wouldn't have to look in your refrigerator and be, and be like, hmm, I, I wonder if the tuna fish is going to kill me today. Because the refrigerator will tell you, hey, dude, don't eat that tuna fish because it will kill you. You know, that kind of thing. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, it would totally be your call if you disobeyed the device, which I would be likely to do. I hate to see food go to waste. I love that you, like, you hate to be bossed around by refrigerators. Well, that too. Yeah. Close the door. I don't want to close the door. <laughs> So there you have it. There's some uh, some science and wine. Um, so if you're of legal age, and uh, in the next time you uh, partake of uh, of a fine vintage, uh, we hope you'll think of us. Yeah, think of some of that. the science lab. So hey, we got a little reader mail, by the way. Oh, why don't you read it? We recently heard from Chantal uh, from Australia, and she had a couple of things to correct us on. Uh, first, in the um, Venom podcast. Uh, we were talking about a gusset, um, which, and uh, it turns out this is a part of the pantyhose, and it's not a specifically an Australian thing. Okay. So, uh, yeah, good to know. Good, good to know on that part. Also, she wanted to, to clarify. Uh, she, we were kind of having a little fun with Australia and its many venomous things, and talking about people having to wear pantyhose everywhere to keep from being killed by. Horrible, horrible life. She set us straight on the difference between pantyhose and stockings, which I was not aware of. I think I use the terms interchangeably until now, but now I will not. Yeah, I, I, I was not aware either. But she also points out, and should I do an Australian accent? No, no I don't I think shouldn't. so. I think, I think no, no. on the Australian accent. Okay. Um, she says, um, by the way, we don't live in caves. We all have electricity, and none of us ride kangaroos to work each day. Good to know. The spider and venomous creatures are only found out in the wild in our National Geographic shows. Our cities and towns are much the same as those in the USA, just with less junk food outlets. Good to know. Yeah. I still want to visit, badly. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd like to get down there. So if you want to tell us what's on your mind, whether it's about Australia, wine, or anything else, send us an email at sciencestuff at howstuffworks.com. Yeah, and check out the blogs. Uh, we have a, a lot of cool uh, blog entries. Uh, in fact, we have one that I uh, did recently about uh, like what is the coldest wine can get and where where's the coldest place in the universe you could possibly drink it. Sounds good. Yeah, it's pretty fun. You might have to read it over a glass of wine. Yeah. Oh, and we have a Twitter and a Facebook. We do. Yeah, so check that out. We're Lab Stuff on uh, Twitter, and uh, you can also just do a search for Lab Stuff on, uh, on Facebook Google. as well. Or Google, yeah. All right, that's all we have. Thanks for listening, guys.
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. <laughs>